With everything you have on your plate, earning your degree online seems impossible. But at Grand Canyon University, we specialize in helping you fit a master's degree in education into your busy day. Your graduation team, led by your own GCU counselor, provides you with the personal support you need to succeed. Achieve your goals with a plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu. Stopping by here and joining me in my podcast, Raising Daughters, Dr. Tim Jordan here. I'm a developmental and behavioral pediatrician who works with girls, counsels them, uh, ages grade school through college. I run retreats and summer camps, and I travel a lot and give talks. I do a lot of writing. And one of the things I've been hearing a lot lately is about how people are not hearing each other. That listening has become an art that I think we're not very good at. And I'm not just talking about parents, I'm talking about kids with each other, I'm talking about leaders, I'm talking about countries, It's this world needs a, a big dose of listening. So I thought I would give you some fun stories today and maybe give you some ideas about how you can make sure your kids are learning the skills to be good listeners. I heard a story one time about a man from a very small town, he was a farmer, and he went to his, his attorney's office and the attorney said, may I help you, sir? And he said, well, sir, I, sir, I want to get one of those divorces. And the attorney said, well, do you have any grounds? And the farmer said, oh, yeah, I got about 140 acres. And the attorney said, no, you don't understand. Do you have a case? And the farmer replied, well, I don't have a case, but I have a John Deere. And the attorney said, no, no, you really don't understand me. I mean, do you have a grudge? And the farmer replied to that, yeah, I got a grudge. That's where I parked my John Deere. And the attorney, still trying, said, Sir, I mean, do you have a suit? And the farmer replied, Yes, sir, I got a suit. I wear it to church every Sunday. Well, the exasperated and frustrated attorney said, Well, sir, does your wife beat you or up or anything? Does she beat you up or anything like that? And the reformer replied, Oh, no, sir. We both get up about the same time, about 4.30 every morning. Finally, the attorney said, Okay. Let me put it this way. Why do you want a divorce? And the farmer said, well, I can never have a meaningful conversation with her. And so it goes, I think, for couples, for kids, for friends, for countries, for politicians. We're just not listening to each other and we're misunderstanding each other. I gave a talk the other night to a group of women leaders. And so I was talking about the different kinds of leadership qualities I think are important. I read a study years ago from, a couple years ago, from Plan International. It was, I think, a 2019 study of more than 10,000 young girls and women from 70 countries. And one of the things they asked these women and girls was whether or not they wanted to be a leader. And 76% of the girls globally said they aspired to be a leader in their country, in their career, and in their community even though I think we don't do a lot to help girls be prepared to be leaders. It's also interesting when they asked these girls what were the most important qualities of leadership, they mentioned at the top of their list things like striving for social and gender justice, making decisions collectively, and leading in a way that empowers others. I sure wish more of our leaders around the world 
led that way. I've mentioned it before, I think, in previous uh, podcasts about a book I read years ago called The Athena Doctrine. And the authors surveyed 64,000 citizens in 13 nations, people across age, gender, and culture. And all those people believed that the feminine qualities of leadership correlated better and more strongly with making the world a better place. What they found across those 13 nations was most people in those countries ascribed uh, different qualities for masculine and feminine qualities of leadership. Masculine qualities were things like control, ambition, competition, aggression, independence, being proud, brave, confident. And my vision for that kind of leadership is George Bush, the president, uh, standing on top of that aircraft carrier in his uh, fake military outfit saying, mission accomplished. That kind of masculine, powerful, power quality of leadership. Feminine qualities of leadership are a little bit different all over the world. People around the world said feminine qualities of leadership are things like handling conflicts with reason instead of ideology, being compassionate, valuing connect connectiveness and vulnerability, valuing collaboration and cooperation and being flexible, being a good listener, uh, building consensus, being socially responsible and being intuitive. Let me give you an example that I found in that book, Athena Doctrine. There's a woman, Brigadier General Rachel Weisel, who is in the Israeli army. And they were having problems, as they have for a long time, at the Palestinian-Israeli border. And skirmishes, hostility, fighting, shootings, whatever. And so they put Brigadier General Rachel Weisel in charge of the, the border patrol. And one of the first things she did was she put women there, women who were in the Israeli army. She put them at the borders. And what they found was uh, when they stationed those female soldiers at the front lines, because of their feminine qualities of being more patient and empathetic and being better listeners and showing more empathy and respect and kindness, they found that the number of, of skirmishes at the border went way down. They, dis they decreased significantly because of the way they were leading there. I remember I read a quote several years ago from Nikki Haley, who was the governor of uh, South Carolina. I thought she made a good point. Forget about the politics of who, who she is or whatever, if you don't like her. But something she said, I think, was really wise. She said, some people think that you have to be the loudest voice in the room to make a difference. And that's just not true. Often the best thing we can do is turn down the volume and the sound is quieter. You can actually hear what the other person is saying. And that can make a world of difference. I could not agree with Nikki Haley uh, um, uh, any less or any more than that. I found some studies that, that said that listening predicts leadership potential more than a lot of other things. How well and how frequently you listen to others is a better predictor of your leadership potential than your actual intelligence or your personality. And as some recent reviews and research showed, good listeners tend to perform better at work. They report higher levels of well-being as well as more meaningful and fulfilling relationships. People tend to trust them more, and they tend to be seen as more curious, empathetic, and emotionally intelligent. So those are good reasons, I hope, to motivate you to make sure you're teaching your kids some good listening skills and modeling them. Our camps this summer are 31 years old. Our weekend retreats this year were 32 years old. And we've been spending time 
at our retreats and camps, and also in our Strong Girls, Strong World School program, teaching kids good conflict resolution skills. And most of good conflict resolution skills are about listening. We teach kids how to mirror. Mirror is just um, when someone gives you some information about something, it's about you putting aside your thoughts and your feelings for a moment, getting in their shoes and trying to see it from their point of view. And mirroring sounds kind of like, so what I heard you say is A, B, and C. Did I get that right? Let me give you a couple examples. I remember several years ago, we were working with a classroom of girls. And uh, we, we taught them, we were giving them an outline for some words to use in resolving conflicts directly and peacefully. Then we asked for a volunteer, which is what we always do. And one girl raised her hand and she uh, invited one of her friends. She said, would you mind if we handle something? And her friend said, okay. They came to the middle of the circle in the classroom. And she, this first girl, I'll call her Lauren. She was upset with Rachel, her friend, when she shared that, uh, when she had shared with Rachel that her brother was coming home from college for the weekend. And she felt like her friend Rachel kind of brushed it off. She was like, okay, whatever. And so Rachel mirrored that back. And then Lauren said it was important to her because she really missed her brother. Um, and then Rachel said the reason she felt like she brushed it off was because how hard it was to hear because her brother was looking at colleges for next year. And then this little Rachel girl started to cry because she was already worried about missing him. And so when her, when her friend Lucy, her friend Lauren, excuse me, brought it up, it caused her to think about that. It caused the feelings to come up. And that's why she kind of dismissed it. It wasn't about Lauren. It was about not wanting to feel her feelings and be vulnerable. And so Lauren talking about that made her not want to feel it. So they both committed to being more sensitive to each other um, and to ask, you know, like Rachel's permission before she shares about her brother. Rachel committed to tell Lauren when she was ready to talk about it. But that's a great example of how a lot of the conflicts I see in girls, a lot of the drama I see in girls in schools and in retreats and camps, etc., is from misunderstandings. Uh, we were working with some some sixth grade girls last year, um, and we were doing the conflict resolution skills. And so we asked again for volunteers. And one girl, um, Olivia, she said she felt hurt when her friend Lucy laughed when Olivia got vulnerable with her one time. She said she had told her friend um, that she had seasonal depression. And she said, the reason I'm telling you this is because I feel like sometimes I come to school, I'm kind of down or maybe a little bit crabby. I feel like people think I'm mad at them or something. I just wanted you to know it's not about you. It's about I just have this seasonal depression thing going on. And when she told her friend that, uh, her friend kind of laughed and said, well, you, I have a lot worse than you do. And she felt dismissed. And, it's been, and when we asked the first girl, Olivia, why, it, it made, uh, why she was so vulnerable to hearing that, why she felt like it hurt so badly to her, she explained to her friend, Lucy, how hard it had been for her to make friends over the years. And she had found that Lucy, was, Lucy and her group this year meant a lot to her. And so it, made, it took a lot for her to get vulnerable. She said, I was taking a risk to be that vulnerable with you. And so when you kind of just brushed it off like that, it really hurt my feelings. And then her friend Lucy got teary-eyed because she said it wasn't her intention to hurt her. And she was really sorry she took it that way. And then she started to cry a little bit. So they listened to each other. They ended up hugging. They made some commitments to each other. And then they went back into the circle, out, you know, went back into the circle. And they were friends again.
And Olivia had been avoiding Lucy for a while and, you know, not really wanting to talk to her because of that misunderstanding. All of our kids need to learn skills like that, especially our girls, because they, they don't like to directly approach people when they have a conflict. They're so afraid of people being mad at them. They're so afraid of their friend being mad. They may lose a friend. They may lose a friend and a whole group. So they just kind of brush it off like, I guess it's no big deal, whatever. And they kind of half smile and they walk away. But those feelings are still there. I found with working with girls for all these years, those feelings start to fester. And that's what ends up creeping up and leaking out as eye rolling and drama. So I want girls to learn how to mirror to put themselves in other people's shoes. Because when any of us do that, it helps us develop more understanding and more empathy. I remember one time, one of my, my favorite authors was Stephen Covey, who has passed away. But I read his book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, and also his other book that was about leadership. And he always talked about a win-win mentality. And there was an exercise he did, which I've done with kids and adults over the years where you have someone, like a volunteer come up, or I'll ask a kid to, to, to come forward with me in the middle of the circle. And so we get into an arm wrestling position. But I don't say we're arm wrestling. I just say, here, put your arm here, grab my hand. And then I say, every time I get your hand to touch the ground, I get an M&M. Every time you get my hand to touch the ground, I'm going to give you an M&M. And we're going to see who can win the most M&Ms in 30 seconds. Ready, set, go. And so they immediately, you know, they want M&Ms, they want to beat me. And so they've tried really hard. I, and I resist for like two seconds and then I let them win. My hand hits the table and they go one. And so we go, okay, do it again. Ready, set, go. And then I let them win. We get set back up. I let them win. I let them win. I let them win. After four or five times, they usually stop pushing because there's no resistance and I'll, I'll say, why did you stop? And they say, well, I don't know. It just wasn't that much fun anymore because you weren't, you know, you weren't competing. You weren't making, make, you know, making me work harder. You know, there was no competition there. So the metaphor is this. If you and I have a conflict and we're trying to figure something out and we need to come to a good solution that works for both of us, it's so important that at least one person, doesn't even have to be two, one person in that duo Somebody's got to have the maturity to say, your needs are important to me. And I want to listen to you and get in your shoes and try and get a sense of what do you need to uh, make you feel good about this solution. So I'm willing to have the maturity to let you know, my hand touch the, touch the floor and you get a bunch of M&Ms because I know eventually I can win you over to that win-win mentality. It only takes one of us to be in that win-win mentality to get the other person to be influenced, to inspire them. But that means I have to be just as invested in you getting your needs met as me getting mine. Now, it's important for me to put my needs out there too, to make it a win-win, not a win-lose. But if we can get kids to learn how to get themselves and put themselves in other people's shoes and have that win-win mentality, that is so powerful. They can create solutions with each other where both people walk away saying, that works for me. It may not be exactly what I came wanting, but it's good enough. It feels good. And so it takes only one good listener, one person in that win-win mentality to create that kind of a solution. I oftentimes, when I have 
parents would come in my office with a counseling session who were at odds with their daughter. They're having lots of conflicts and arguments and yelling and all that stuff. I described to them a metaphor called the turtle and the hailstorm. It kind of goes like this. The turtle is your teenage daughter and you, the parent, are the hailstorm. I guess this could be any age, but I'm going to talk about you know teen girls. So the turtle, i.e. the teenage girl, just by the fact that they are going into their teen years or an adolescent or a pre-adolescent, they start wanting to have a little bit more of a private life. So they might retreat a little bit back into their shell because they want to be able to have more time with their friends, time in their room, etc. That tends to worry their parents, the hailstorm. So they start to hail a little bit more, ask more questions, get more worried, maybe be a little bit more intense about it, which is very annoying to the turtle who retreats a little bit further back in their shell, which makes the hailstorm more worried. Is my daughter okay? She's not talking to me. She walks right by me. I say, how was school? She goes to her room. She closes the door. So they hail more and they ask more questions. They may even get more micromanaging, which is really annoying to the turtle. They retreat way back in their shell. And then both sides kind of push themselves to an extreme. I know from lots of experience that that your teenage daughters and your adolescent and pre-adolescent daughters need you. They need you as a sounding board. They do need you in their lives. It, it may look a little bit different. It's going to look a little bit different, but it doesn't need to be that polarized. So the hailstorm, i.e. mom and dad's job, is to stop hailing. Don't ask 50 questions. They walk in from school and they're kind of crabby and look out of sorts. That may not be the time they want to talk. So let them go to their room or let them go outside and shoot some hoops. Let them kind of decompress from their day. And then maybe later on, you can say, how about let's go take a walk. And in that space, they're probably much more willing to have a conversation. The turtle's job, your daughter's job, is going to be to be willing to poke their head out of their shell and give their parents enough information that their parents feel like, I know where she's coming from. I get how she thinks that way. I, she's explained to me her, her thoughts about dating, about sexuality, about drugs and alcohol use, about whatever's going on. I, because she's sharing enough, I have a sense of, I know her, I get her, I understand how she's thinking. And if the turtle is willing to do that, it makes it easier for the hailstorm to stop hailing. But they both have a part in this, not just one. And if they're both willing to do their part, they can come more to the middle and have a relationship where they, they can still share with each other and the parents can remain an influence. But you've got to be a good listener and stop hailing. One of the things I've noticed that's causing people to not listen very well these days is because of all of our distractions. I heard about a husband one day uh, who was with his wife and his wife said, you weren't even listening to me. Were, you weren't even listening to me, were you? And the guy thought to himself, "That's kind of a weird way to start a conversation." <laughs> a very simple reason why most people struggle with listening, even if they have a good intention to listen, is that they fail to give the other person their undivided attention. Distractions, stress, worries, and multitasking all interfere with good, high-quality listening. Um, anything we do. Uh, that requires a, our active attention cannot be done at the same time as you're doing something else. You can't multitask and do it well, even though we all think we can. I have a friend one time who told me that uh, his kids were in their 
in their college age years. And so one holiday season, he went back and found the old videos he had taken when they were growing up. And so they set, set up the thing with the TV set and all that. And so that the whole family together was watching these old videos. And they're all laughing and remembering all those old times. And he got very melancholy because he said, I was the one who took all those videos. And yet here I am watching the tapes. I have no memory of, of all those things. I have no memory of the birthday parties. I have no memory of the recitals. Because even though I was there, I was not really there. My mind was a thousand miles away. He was starting his own business and he was consumed with it and distracted by it. And he was problem solving in his head. So even though he was there, he wasn't really there. There's a lot of people today who, who multitask, especially with all of our devices. It's so easy to be sitting down and looking at something we're working on the computer. But at the same time, here comes boop. Here comes our phone buzzing and boop. Here comes a message popping up on our computer. Multitasking has been found to increase the production of cortisol in us, cortisol, the stress hormone. And that leaves us much more mentally exhausted than if we weren't multitasking. I found a study from the University of Sussex in the UK where they ran MRI scans on the brains of individuals who spent time on multiple devices at once. Like, for instance, they were texting while they were watching TV. The MRI scans of those brains show that the subjects who, multi subjects who multitask more often had less brain density in the anterior cingulate cortex, and that's the area responsible for empathy and emotional control. That's interesting. I'm, I'm going to come back to that in a moment. By the way, we're not really multitasking when, we're, when we think we're multitasking. What we're really doing is we're switching rapidly between two different activities, or three different activities. We're not really doing all three at once. We're just going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, and nothing is getting our full attention. I have found, too, that the girls I work with who use more social media, they get less positive feelings from their interactions with their peers and their friends. They're missing out on social cues. They're missing out on body language. They're missing out on so much because they're going back and forth, back and forth with their phone and text messages and scrolling their walls while they're with other people. I remember I, I saw a study a couple years ago that showed that the mere presence of any phone, like for instance, you're sitting at the dinner table with your family and somebody has a phone on the table. Even the phone, if the phone is not on, the mere presence of the phone reduces closeness, connection, and it dumbs down the conversation quality. And it also reduces the extent to which everybody feels empathy and understanding from the people around them. And all that, of course, will negatively affect our relationship with those people. It'll lower our, our relationship satisfaction with people, with our spouses, with our friends, with our kids. Just the presence of the phone even if it's off, reduces all the connection. I know when our, our campers come to a weekend retreat or a summer camp week, one of the questions at our check-in table is, uh, where's your phone? And they'll say, well, here, but, and I'll say, why don't you give it to your dad, give it to your mom? Because, you know, we don't like, we don't have any phones or any electronics like that at camp. And the girls always start rattling off excuses like, well, I need it for my for my alarm clock, or I needed to listen to music to fall asleep, blah, blah, blah. And we tell them, I, yes, I get it. Oh, that's amazing. And no, that we'll make sure we, you can uh, handle it with the counselors in your cabin about waking up and all that. And so they will hand over their phones reluctantly. 
and with some shaking <laughs> sometimes. But here's the truth. I've been, we've been doing that for, gosh, 10-ish years at least, 10, 15 years. At the end of the week, I always remember that last day when we're sitting in our last circle to ask them, how many of you really missed your phone? And I can tell you with a lot of years of experience that, that no one has ever said, I really missed my phone. What they say instead is, it was really nice to not worry about it for a week. To not have to check things and not have to worry about who's calling who and who's, who's going with who and what am I missing out. They said, not having the phone was nice to give me a break from all of that. And even more important, they had a chance during a camp week to really connect with peers. They made new friends. There's so much time, like after dinner, we have a lot of free time at our camps. We have a lot of downtime because we think it's important. And we believe that a lot of kids don't have very much of it in their, in their regular life. So we'll have dinner at maybe 5.30 or something like that. And then the activity in the evening doesn't start till maybe 7, 7.30, maybe 8 o'clock. We want kids to have time just to hang out. We'll sit around our, the picnic tables after dinner and just talk. We'll take walks. We'll take a walk down to the lake. We'll sit down and watch sunsets. We walk down to the lake or we walk down to take hikes. People are talking to each other. They're actually connecting way more so than they do in their normal lives because of the lack of distractions. And they love that. That's why they didn't miss their phone for a camp week. And that's why your family can make some agreements about how you can have you know device-free times like any meals, like in the car rides, like when you're outside playing sports or whatever you're doing outside. You can have all those devices put away. Another way I want us to listen better is about asking our kids questions about why they like doing what they do. Asking questions like, what are your intentions for your school year before the school year starts? Or what kind of grades do you want? And not to, not to stop there. Because most kids will say, well, I want A's. But then the follow-up question is, why do you want A's? What does that mean to you? And to listen. Why do you like gymnastics? Why do you like uh, acting in a play? Why do you like dance dancing? Why do you like whatever you're doing? Why do you like painting? And then listen to what those things mean to your daughter. Because what they'll tell you is their internal, intrinsic reasons for liking what they like, for loving what they love, for being passionate about what they're passionate about. It's so important for them to be able to voice that, for you to hear it and mirror it back. Because they then internalize those good feelings and then that's there for them to draw from when you're not always going to be there. Plus, you learn a lot about your kids. You ask them questions about why you're doing what you're doing. You get to hear what it really means to them. And it allows them to do those activities. It allows them to do what they want to do, not to please you, to not disappoint you, but because they love doing it for their own personal reasons. So important to hear that. I also believe when it comes to listening, that our girls also need to learn how to get quiet enjoy their alone time, and have it regularly so they can go inward and listen to themselves. To try and access access their intuition, their gut, their urges. A lot of times I'll have girls in my counseling practice and they're upset about something or they're crying and I'll say, what's going on? What are you feeling? They're like, I don't know. 
and they'll tell me how often at home they'll start just feeling things. They'll get upset, they're crying, and they don't know why. Because they haven't learned to get quiet and slow down and go inward and get a sense of what's going on for me. I want them to be able to access those urges. They're so important. We always say, you know, follow your heart, follow your gut. But you, you can't follow your heart and your gut if you uh, don't have access to it, if you will. Here's a nice story about the primatologist Jane Goodall. Um, I, I watched her documentary. I read a book about her, like her biography. And she says that when she wanted, she wanted to go off to, to, to Africa, starting at about the age of seven or eight, she just loved that. She loved monkeys and she loved all those kinds of things. And everybody laughed at her. And they said to dream about something that she could really achieve because that's something that men do. Women don't go off by themselves to Africa and do the, that kind of thing. But luckily, someone listened to her, her mom. She said, my mom heard me and she didn't laugh. She supported me and she said to me, which, I, she, which Jane said I took to heart, if you really want something, you must be prepared to work very hard, take advantage of all opportunities, and above all else, never give up. Thank goodness Jane Goodall's mom listened to her and allowed Jane to trust her gut and to trust her urges. It's obviously also important for couples to listen to each other, not only for the good of their marriage, but also for the good of modeling for their kids, what listening and win-win negotiating looks like. I heard one time this woman said, I, I once gave my husband the silent treatment for an entire week. And at the end of that week, he declared, hey, we're, we've been getting along pretty well lately, haven't we? That's not what I mean by listening. I heard about this other older couple. They had just celebrated their 50th year of marriage. There had been a party. They came home. They were sitting around the table before they went to bed. And the wife said to her husband, after all these years of marriage, I know that you are tried and true. And he said, what did you say? And she said in a louder voice, because he was a little bit hard of hearing, after all these years of marriage, I've learned that you're tried and true. He said, I can't hear you, honey. Speak louder. And she said in a louder voice, after all these years of marriage, I've learned that you are tried and true. And he replied very loudly, well, I'm tired of you too. <laughs> We've got to learn to listen to each other. And I want our kids to see their parents listening to each other. I remember a long time ago, my wife and I, this is like probably 30 years ago or so. We've been married 41 years in, uh, in about two weeks. And we went to a couple's retreat, just like an enrichment kind of thing. I remember one of the things that we, we did was we made a list of all the things that we'd always wanted to do in our lives, things that, um, just dreams we had had. And one of the dreams that my wife, Ann, had had was she had, this is before we got married, she had dreamed that she was going to marry somebody and he would take her to Hawaii for the honeymoon. Uh, unfortunately, she married someone who was just about to start their residency and he was making uh, $12,000 a year and never had any weekends off. And so we went we went to the Lake of the Ozarks, which is just a resort a couple hours south of St. Louis for a couple of days. And, and during those three days of our um, honeymoon, I was studying for my boards. So anyway, she did not get her dream, but I heard that. We also learned on that weekend how important it was to give our, our spouses surprises. So what I did um, was we were, we were coming up on our 10-year anniversary of marriage. And so I planned a trip to Hawaii 
to the island of Kauai. And I planned it with a friend of mine, and uh, he made the arrangements so I wouldn't know, so I wouldn't have to have anything, any paper trail, if you will. And then at the last moment, he and his wife couldn't make it. So I had this two-bedroom place on the island of Kauai. I didn't tell Anne anything. I planned everything. I had my mother-in-law and father-in-law. They were going to come over and watch the kids for the week. I had it backtrack, and she was making appointments to her doctor and her dentist. I had to call everybody and say, look, here's what's going on. Now, she's not coming. Here's why. Anyway, so on the morning of, of the trip, I, uh, I uh, woke her up early, and I said, uh, let's go. And she said, what, what do you mean? I said, we're going somewhere. She said, where? I said, I, I'm not telling you yet. I had packed for her everything, which she, in retrospect, said she wished she had, she had packed for herself. But anyway, that's for another day, another surprise. And so um, um, my mother-in-law came over, and she was tight-lipped. And so I drove her uh, 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 to the airport, and she kept saying, where are we going? Where are we going? Oh, no, no. Oh, that's a, that was a different trip. I did that twice, by the way. The first trip, here's what happened. I had my aunt... Her aunt picked her up. That's right. I'm mixing up stories. Her aunt picked her up that morning to take her to breakfast. That's when my mother-in-law came over. And then after breakfast, her, her, her aunt said, hey, do you mind if we drop by the airport? I, I, I lost some luggage and they're going to, I just need to run inside and grab it. She said, sure. So her aunt pulls up to the airport. I'm standing there waiting for her. And aunt's like, what? what? There's Tim. What? And she gets out. She goes, what are you doing here? I said, let's go. And so we walked through the airport, and this is way before TSA and all that. So you could just walk right down to your gate. I wouldn't tell her where we were going. And we got to the gate. We got there right on time because it said boarding for Kauai. And then she just starts bawling. Uh, and we had an amazing week of honeymoon. That was, that was really our honeymoon at, on our 10-year wedding anniversary. But the reason we had such a great time was I listened she also had talked about how it had been tiring because we had three little kids by that time. So I did all of the details. I took care of everything, which that in and of itself was a vacation for her. Listen to each other. Listen to your spouse. Teach your kids how to resolve conflicts peacefully. When they have problems as siblings, sit them down, have them learn to listen to each other. Talk things through. Win-win negotiate. So important. Getting in your sibling's shoes and try and see it from their point of view. Mirror what they have to say. Then put out there what you want and your needs and make sure both people's needs are met in your final solution. So valuable. When you're with your kids, be there fully. If you got to answer some phone calls for work or get on online for work, do it. But then when you're done, put it aside. So that when you are at dinner and when you are playing playing card games at the, you know after dinner, you're there fully with no phone, no devices, no TV on, fully engaged, fully listening to each other, just like we do at camp. You may even decide as a family to have some device-free time so everybody can take breaks. You don't need to come to camp. We look high for girls to get a break from your devices. Teach them how to get in other people's shoes, see things from their point of view. Make sure you're not multitasking when you're with each other. Be fully present. And also, I had mentioned before, the importance of all of us, not just your daughters, but all of us having alone quiet time where we can go inside and figure out what do I need? What am I feeling? What's right for me? Let me end this podcast with a, a poem from Shel Silverstein. 
It's called The Voice Inside of You. There is a voice inside of you that whispers all day long. I feel that this is right for me. I know that this is wrong. No teacher, preacher, parent, friend, or wise man can decide what's right for you. Just listen to the voice that speaks inside. Uh, Look for that poem and say that one to your kids or have them listen to this podcast. Thank you so much for listening in. I'm always appreciative when you pass these podcasts on to your friends to make sure that they can hear some of these suggestions and things as well. I will be back here in a week with another podcast. In the meantime, if you have questions about the things I do, my books, etc., just check me out at www.drtimjordan.com. All the stuff about my books, my articles, my online courses, blah, 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 camps, retreats, my school program, previous podcasts, previous blogs, all that stuff is on the website. I will see you back here in a week. Thanks so much for stopping by. need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly.